podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. On last week's show, we talked about how so many entrepreneurs are having incredible success with productized services. So very quickly, a productized service is simply a service that's sold like a product. So an example, you could find it heycarson.com. Here's the headline. Get one-on-one support from Shopify experts for only $199 a month. Stop trying to do it all. Let Carson handle small tasks for your store. Start today. Now, the great thing about a productized service is that you can start them fast and with little to no capital. And it's not only good for people wanting to start their first business, but for experienced entrepreneurs who want to test out new ideas fast. So now enough talking about all these other people that are building productized services. In today's episode, I want to talk about how you can build one. So I thought it would be cool to invite an expert idea generator onto the show. In fact, the last time I had Tristan King on the show, there was 72 comments on the post from listeners asking about their business ideas, as well as a bunch of emails that we both received from listeners pumped up to start their own businesses. I thought we could run it back and try it again. So we are going to be donating productized service business ideas on this episode. This is a brief background. Tristan runs a company called Black Belt Commerce, formerly Shopify Ninjas, which helps Shopify store owners build great stores. But in today's episode, we are going to play round two of our Donate a Business Idea game. And I want to underline that last time we did this, listeners of this show took ideas from the show and went and built profitable businesses. It actually happened, and I hope we can see similar success with this episode. By the way, if you'd like to donate your idea, if you think our ideas aren't up to snuff, we'd love to hear them. This episode will be posted at tropicalmba.com slash businessideas2, the number two. But before we get into the business ideas donation game, I wanted to ask Tristan about my theory that I'm chewing on. I don't know if it's a theory. It's just this sense that productized services are maturing in a way. And he was in Bangkok as well a few weeks ago. So that's how this conversation opens up. I asked him if he was seeing the same things in the community and in this podcast listenership that I'm seeing. Absolutely. I noticed that too. And I think from both the buyer and the seller's point of view, and what I mean by that is uh, there were a couple of people who were not just attending, but who were presenting or holding workshops in Bangkok who had built real tangible, quite big businesses based on some of the ideas that have been put across in the productized services series of podcasts. So I definitely felt like it's growing up from a service provider point of view, but I also feel like maybe it's grown up in the sense of people looking for productized services too. And now even in my business, if I have a problem that I need to solve, Sometimes rather than solving it myself, I might go looking for or ask around for who has a service that will help me solve this problem. So I think also people who are looking to pay someone else to solve X problem are starting to realize that productized services is a nice way of doing that because you know exactly what you'll get for your money and how it's going to work. So absolutely agree. And that was my experience in Bangkok as well. 
So our last episode, Tristan, was called Build a Skill, Package It for Sale, and Then Scale. In your case, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but you had that skill of being able to create great Shopify stores. You had found a way to sell it such that you were able to live a location-independent lifestyle, sustain your family, all those things. And kind of as we left you, there was that scale it question in the air. And you were talking about building your team and things. And this is really where I think you know, entrepreneurs get scared of productized services because there's always a question of human resources, hiring, managing a larger and growing team. There's always a question of cash flow because they're services businesses. And I'm wondering, how have you encountered those inherent challenges with this business model over the last year? Sure. So that's definitely one of the scarier parts, I would agree. After trying to find customers initially, how to scale up from there is one of the scarier problems because it is easy to envisage yourself, you know, then managing a team of 10 people and being at the computer for 18 hours a day. For us, the way that it's worked has been slow and steady wins the race. I've never really wanted to create something that was just like a website factory turning out websites that we never actually spoke to the customer or it felt very impersonal. So we have scaled quite a bit since then. I think in the last financial year, business increased by about 40%. So we have scaled, but we've mostly scaled by slowly adding one or two team members here or there and by working with bigger customers and expanding the amount of things that we do for people. So I think it's not only about scaling in terms of the number of people that you have on the team, but also scaling the magnitude of the problems that you solve for your potential customers. So lately for us, for example, we've been working on a lot of the bigger problems like multi-site stores, multi-languages, regional variations, and these kind of problems that are often faced by bigger businesses. And that in itself has allowed us to grow in addition to hiring one or two new people every now and then, but it's still been slow and steady wins the race for us anyway. I kind of have this ambivalence about productized services, you know, like I'm inherently worried about them for their scale potential, yet I'm seeing these extraordinarily talented entrepreneurs implement ideas and have a lot of success from them. I think I'm just kind of stunned by the magic of it, that these really are just ideas and hard work. Like you don't need to have some kind of luck or super talent here. This is just a matter of this needs to get done. I'm willing to do it in an organized and responsible fashion day after day, and it can turn into a meaningful source of wealth. Absolutely. And it's interesting because I think it is both straightforward in one way and very exciting in another way. It's straightforward in the sense that you know, some of the ideas that you or that we've talked about on the shows throughout the Productized Services series, you know, on the surface, they sound rather simple, right? But once you say, okay, this is what I'm going to do, and you really hit the ground running with it, make a website, start talking to some customers, it's not a magic bullet solution where you put up one landing page and then 2,000 people sign up for your SaaS app the next day. It really is just about building a real tangible business. And I think that is the really exciting part that you can take a simple idea and as long as enough people are willing to pay you a bit of money to solve that problem, it really can become something that's very tangible. And that's where yeah, even within the DC and in Bangkok, we've now seen just so many people building real businesses around these kinds of ideas. And I think that's the really exciting part. Tristan, last time we did this show, people built businesses off of the ideas that you shared in a little game we like to play called Donate a Business Idea. 
And if you don't mind, before we talk more shop, I think it's time for us to play the game. Are you up for it? Let's do it. So we both have written down a few ideas, encourage the audience not only to take action on these ideas, but variations thereof, or share their own ideas in the comments of this episode. We'll be there at tropicalmba.com slash ideas 2 So the number two, because this is one of the many episodes we've done sharing business ideas. So Tristan, how about you kick us off with your first productized service business idea? My first idea is a matchmaking service and not an online dating service, but some kind of a matchmaking service between e-commerce systems and email providers. So this is somewhat of a scratch your own itch. It kind of came from an experience that I'm having at the moment where we've just moved email systems. And I kind of feel like I really like the new system that we moved to, but I don't yet know how to get the full power out of what it is that we're now using. So that got me thinking that a very useful, I think, productized service could be matching e-commerce systems or even e-commerce levels with a different email service provider. So for example, it could be for people with a Shopify store from zero to 5K per month are best off using, let's say MailChimp. For people using Shopify from five to 20K per month, you'll get a better return on investment and more powerful features with ConvertKit. And if you're on a different system, then you might want to consider Klaviyo. However it might play out, I think there would be some room for email marketing experts to kind of narrow down a little bit and maybe even run some experiments to see where the best benefits are in matching businesses of different sizes on different platforms with an email marketing service. Does that make sense? It does. So this might be like a diagnostic service. So I go to, you know, emailexperts.io and I fill out a form that talks a little bit about my business and I pay $500 for a diagnostic. That's basically you're charging for lead generation for not only the affiliate link for whatever service you end up recommending, but also ongoing services on whatever platform you're an expert in. So if you might choose like the middle of the range, like, well, I'm going to be an expert implementer of ConvertKit. So if you know, Tristan's business does end up being ideal for ConvertKit, I will also then offer them ongoing management of their accounts. Exactly. And I think that would be a very easy lead generation service for larger projects as well and potentially ongoing work in the sense that if someone were to sell me a diagnostic that told me that ConvertKit was the right one for me and that business knew how to get the best out of ConvertKit for my particular business model, yeah, that's something I could see myself diving into pretty quickly because it does take a lot of time to learn these different email marketing platforms and understanding how best to use them. So I think that could be a good lead-in service as well. Let me share one of my ideas that's very related, Tristan, and get your feedback on it. So I was talking with an entrepreneur the other day who said, I spent $35,000, whatever, on HubSpot which is a tool that is like an integrated, I mean, it's a very powerful tool. It's very expensive. What it essentially does is it's a full solution for following your customers through your funnels. So if someone emails you, you can like see all the other times that they emailed you, how they opted into your list, what kind of newsletters they read, and then you can market to them through email. But it's super expensive and very difficult to implement. And of course, I almost had a heart attack when I heard the $35,000 figure. And I said to that entrepreneur, has it been worth it to spend that money? And he looked at me and he's like, absolutely. 
This is the kind of mindset, you know, when you're starting out as an entrepreneur, you realize that there are people in the world spending $35,000 on software solutions and making their money back. And these aren't people that are working for Coke and Pepsi. You know, these are people that are small business entrepreneurs. And so my idea was, well, I've been eyeing up lead pages lately. Are you familiar with this software? I am. I've been using it for about maybe two or three years, I think. Excellent. So then your feedback would be fabulous. So I look at leadpages.com. It's relatively inexpensive on a monthly basis. And I think to myself, I know I could really make my money back if I implemented this because I don't ask for opt-ins on the Tropical MBA. You know, there's only one opt-in box on the whole website right now. So I'm sure if I use this software, I could make my money back right away. The problem, Tristan, is that I'd have to use the software. (laughs) I don't have time to use the software right now. And I don't have anybody on my team who has time. And I certainly don't want to go spend $35,000 on a big solution like HubSpot. So what if someone could sit in the middle and say, hey, you know, I'm so good at software like lead pages that I can get a lot of the value that, say, a HubSpot user would for lead generation just using a $100 a month software. And I'm just going to charge you, you know, $500 a month for it. And here's the types of goals that we're going to meet. Or also, it's really nice if you're just starting out as a productized service to have it be a one-time setup charge. It's a lot easier to spend $1,500 for a very clear result than it is to make a $500 a month commitment when you don't really know what you're going to get. 100% agree. I'll sign up too. (laughs) I'm relatively savvy with lead pages for creating landing pages, but I know they have a lot of other things like lead boxes where you can use a link to gather email addresses. And there, there's a lot of other features that even I don't use having been a customer for more than two years. I totally agree. I think whether it's with email marketing platforms or something like lead pages, where you, Dan, get the sense that you probably could make your money back and then some relatively quickly, but you don't have the time to sit down and figure out all the nuts and bolts. I think that's where having some kind of a productized or a templated approach saying you will get X number of pages and we're gonna create these kind of lead magnets for people to opt in. This is the kind of results we can expect based on other clients we've worked with. That kind of an approach I think would be fantastic because as good as the software packages are, sometimes there's just a very big learning curve. And though we always want to dive into them, sometimes it just doesn't happen. But I think that if that was set up in some kind of a productized way, absolutely, it would be something that a lot of people would latch onto. Now, before you give your next idea, Tristan, I want to take a commercial break for a short inspirational note, which is to say that, you know, on the one hand, me and you are just sharing these ideas. We're just napkin mathing around. But the world of people who are listening to this episode and are actually going to do something about these ideas is very small. It's not tens of thousands of people listening to this that are all going to go out and nod their heads at that idea and go do it this weekend. It's a handful of people. And a few people are going to get distracted. A few people already have businesses. A few people are going to go back to their jobs. And there's going to be one that emerges without question. It could be you a few years later with a meaningful change of life based on just implementing ideas like this. I don't want to sound cheesy. What I'm trying to say is that there's just a few of us right now. It's a very small room nodding that know what that software is, that know the power it can provide to small businesses and that are willing, frankly, to do something about it. And if you're that person nodding their head, I mean, these kind of opportunities, they're everywhere. And I really think that often the first step to creating something meaningful is just doing something. 
writing down the things that you do know or if you have a strength in a particular area and then starting to create something that might not end up being the final end result or the the game-changing business that you envisaged in the beginning but i do think that starting somewhere is always the best way to go and 100 percent agree down that you just got to go for it all right tristan let's hear your next idea my next idea is also e-commerce related. You'll have to forgive me for my bias towards e-commerce or Shopify related ideas here. (laughs) (laughs) In the last two or three years, the Shopify app store has exploded. So this is not an app in the sense of something you download onto your iPhone from the Apple store. A Shopify app is what WordPress calls a plugin. It's a piece of extra functionality that you can bolt onto your Shopify store. And in the last couple of years, there's been a lot of Shopify apps developed and there's a big marketplace for it too. However, Building apps is not the easiest thing on the planet and requires a lot of technical learning time. I think there might be also a market for some kind of a productized service around building a Shopify app. So whether it's a private app for one person to use on their shop or to market in the Shopify app store to the wider base of merchants. And this could be bigger than Shopify. It could be for different e-commerce platforms as well. The tricky part with this is what a Shopify app can do or what a WordPress plugin can do is potentially unlimited, right? So I think you would need to set some kind of a boundaries that it can do X type of functions or the user experience is going to look like this. There would need to be some kind of fairly well-defined boundaries to make it into a productized service. But I think if there were a productized service that people would go to to build their own Shopify app, I think that would also be a nice little marketplace both for individual shops and potentially for the wider Shopify app marketplace as well. Do you mean like an app? So say I sell like bananaboats.com and it's a Shopify store that I could go to this productized service and have developers very clearly make me an app that sends news updates to people who want to download my app. It's not so much an app in that sense. It's more like a plugin, something that you add into your Shopify store. So if you have bananaboats.com and you want to do a store-wide sale and rather than having to edit every product's price individually, you could use an app called Product Discount to manage all of that in one go. You can do things like daily deals. You could set up wholesale pricing. There are apps for like email popover boxes on Shopify. Those kind of extra pieces of functionality is more so what I mean. So this would be an opportunity for someone with technical chops or a CTO, and they could go to the Shopify community and say, you know, instead of giving you quotes for projects or for weeks of time or hour blocks, Instead, what we're going to do is develop apps like this. They have these sorts of results and you pay us 15 grand on this payment scale and we do it for you. Exactly right. And I think where that's useful is a lot of people have difficulty clarifying exactly what the app should do, exactly how it should look because they're not technical and they're not sure what's involved on the back end. And this even applies to me sometimes too. I myself am not a Shopify app developer. So sometimes clarifying the requirements and knowing what the boundaries are can be quite tricky. So that's where I think if a technical person or someone like a CTO were to create a productized service around this that says, here's how long it will take, this is what it will cost to build function types A, B, and C, I think that could be something that a lot of people will go for. Here's one that 
I don't know if it's a good idea, but the structure of it, I think, is worth thinking about, which is to say that a lot of small businesses depend on just a few marketing channels, one, two, or three marketing channels, particularly when you're starting out in e-commerce. Generally, that means you've gotten a foothold in a marketing channel that's powerful. And that could be, you know, for my first e-commerce store, Tristan, that was SEO. Like I had a key term that I was able to rank on the first page for, and that's literally why I had a business. You can relate that to back in the days when that might have been getting a place on a main street in a small town. Like that was literally why you had a business. That was your marketing channel. It was quite literally a channel going through the center of town. Well, one of the new channels that's very powerful for small business e-commerce entrepreneurs is Instagram. And what I've noticed from speaking with my sister, and then she really planted this idea in my head, and then my girlfriend built an e-commerce store off of Instagram in my midst without asking me for advice, which chuffed me a little bit. (laughs) Apparently some kind of advice giver on the internet, but not at home. They're revolting against you then. (laughs) What I've noticed is that Instagram is a powerful shopping platform and that people actually find things to buy and do their shopping on Instagram. And if you're somebody who understands this about Instagram, I think you could create a powerful marketing channel for existing brands on the web and you could charge something like $500 a month for Instagram marketing. It might be as simple as just having a process where your team sets up an account, posts five or six times a day, and it's kind of a classic Gary Vaynerchuk, like jab, 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 right hook social media strategy where you're creating a very interesting narrative for a brand online. And this is actually not the most difficult thing to do. I've seen it done in person. Like you can harvest imagery from the internet, you can turn it into something that serves your brand, and then you can run promotions around certain times of the week that your customers want to do their shopping. So for certain brands that might be on the weekends, you could say, well, 15% off if you put this promo code. If you create a system around this, I believe you could put a price tag on it and charge monthly for it. Tristan, are a lot of your customers using Instagram or similar marketing channels to sell their products? I like it, Dan. And yes, they are. Quite a few of our clients, especially people who have very visually focused products, are using Instagram in a big way. One of our clients, for example, often goes to Europe to find furniture and antiques that are kind of one of a kind. And almost instantly, as soon as he posts that on to Instagram, he has people coming into his shop or going to the online store to purchase it. He often sells out you know, in 24 hours and he's only got 10 of them or something like that. It is astounding. So I'm being educated by a lot of people in that at the moment. But I think it's a nice idea. And to take that potentially a step further... I like the idea of time-based shopping. And there's also a way to make shoppable Instagram feeds now. So a few clients we've worked with, we've set up shoppable Instagram feeds, meaning let's say, Dan, you're running your banana boats shop again, and you have four different types of boats, and you're posting photos of each of those rather than you having to answer emails of which of your products is this in the photo. When they hover over the photo, it actually links straight to the product page. But as a part of that, you've also got a lot of tagging, you've got work to do to make sure that they're linked up correctly and all that kind of stuff. So I think that there is a market there for that. And the return on investment for the right kinds of businesses can be huge as your your sister and her business partner have found out. (laughs) 
again, think of the principle here. If Instagram isn't your bag, or if you don't think that's a sustainable marketing channel or an interesting one to you or one that plays to your strengths, just think of the principle here. Any place that e-commerce entrepreneurs can reliably get new customers, they're willing to invest in your skill set to do it for them. And so just, you know, use it as a brainstorm thing, whether that's SEO or Snapchat or Google product feeds or whatever it is that's bringing customers to e-commerce sites, particularly if it's emerging, if you can jump on that emerging trend and position yourself as an expert to the marketplace, you're going to get a lot of clients. All right, Tristan, let's move on to one of your ideas. Okay. The next one I have is about moving from one system to another. I'm sure you've been through this too, Dan. Anytime you need to move from one system in which you've been quite invested for at least a year or two to something else, it's always a major pain. So this could be email marketing or e-commerce. Again, conceptually, it could apply to a lot of things. I think a migration service could be something that you could package up quite well because it depends more or less on the number of products in the shop, a number of pages, a number of contacts, that kind of stuff. In the Shopify space at the moment, there are a couple of companies who will help larger stores migrate, let's say, 1,000 or 2,000 products from one system to another. But I still think that there is room out there for services that are easier to understand and better packaged specifically for Shopify. So I think that some kind of a migration service from one e-commerce system to another done by someone who really knows the nitty gritty, like how you're going to transition all of your customers' passwords and their email addresses to make sure it's a flawless experience when they log in for the first time. How are you going to get all the product information to come across correctly? What should the transition date be between ripping off the band-aid, you've now moved from your old system to your new one and that kind of stuff. But I think just the physical data migration from one system to another could be an interesting product size service to explore because it's not an easy one to do and not an easy one to manage, especially for busy business owners. What do you think of that one? I love these ideas and I don't know, it might be irrational, but first off, I love the opportunity to do some old school moving service branding. This is the fundamental idea of entrepreneurship in my head, which is taking responsibility. And if you can position yourself as someone that, look, I am going to take care of this for you. I mean, it is a huge pain point for entrepreneurs, so much so that they're generally just not willing to do it. That is move platforms. And if you can say, look, like my company will take responsibility for you, you know, here's all the case studies, here's how we're going to do it, here's the time frame, here's the cost, you know, you could position this as a zero cost service in a lot of situations. So you could say, for example, you're sick of Infusionsoft or HubSpot, we'll move you to a decentralized stack that like, you know, Clay Collins was talking about a few weeks ago on the program, we're going to put you on center and lead pages and drip for example, and you're going to save $25,000 a year the first year. I think there's a lot of ways that you could make difficult transitions easy for people, not only in terms of trust that your business isn't going to blow up. That's the number one pain point. I remember when we moved the DC, for example, onto a new forum, it took us a long time. I mean, it took us first off years evaluating platforms, and then it took us months to actually move. We just didn't want to have the whole thing blow up in front of us. So I understand this pain point really intimately. And we were willing to invest a lot to ensure that our business continued to run smoothly for our customers. But I could see this being positioned as not only like get rid of that pain point, but grow your business with these new capabilities and perhaps even make your money back right away once you're on a new platform with new capabilities. And so there might be a sweet spot of identifying an interesting service arbitrage where, hey, if you're this sort of e-commerce business and you're on this platform, 
you know you could double your business if you move to this platform, but you're scared to make the move. Well, pay us $35,000 and give us two months, you know, and we'll get you there. Absolutely. And I think that there are a lot of businesses who are in that position where we know we probably should pull the trigger on a new system and that will make our money back pretty quickly. But there are too many other things day to day that we need to deal with. So we don't get around to it. But I think in a lot of cases, especially if you can make it a zero cost migration after the fact, or even within the first six months or the first 12 months, I definitely think that yeah, there'll be quite a few people who would pull the trigger on that. To do something like this, you'd really need to have a very strong perspective on why people need to move and why you're going to be successful at it. And so that's going to be important in your marketing there because, again, this is very touchy stuff, but it's, it's a high-ticket item, that's for sure. All right, so one more idea, Tristan, and this is an idea for maybe, maybe the older folks in the audience, not the folks that are just starting out with the business. But one thing that I'm noticing is that there's a lot of people just starting out with entrepreneurship that are really attracted to the Amazon FBA business model. And they love it because they don't need to have a big infrastructure. They can work from their laptops, hire a remote staff, and build super profitable affiliate and FBA websites and make a great living off of it. The problem comes at scale. These FBA businesses will encounter all kinds of sourcing opportunities that maybe entrepreneurs who are focused on internet marketing don't want to get into. And they're going to come into all kinds of cash flow constraints because these businesses need cash in order to grow. So I think for more experienced entrepreneurs, there's a real opportunity to provide a back-end service that these FBA sellers can plug into, not only creating partnerships on sourcing deals, but providing funding for existing cash flows. So how does this fit into the productized service model? Maybe it's not the cleanest one, but it's something that I noticed that if you positioned yourself as like FBA backend, Amazon doesn't do everything for you. It's not going to go out and like find products for you. It's not going to give you the cash. I mean, it might in the future. It just doesn't provide very specific services for specific sorts of successes that Amazon sellers are having. So I think there's a lot of opportunities in that space. It's really hot right now. I think you can't really go wrong sniffing around there and trying to figure out where the opportunities are to plug in services into these people that are having huge success on Amazon. Maybe there would even be a way to talk with 10 or 20 Amazon FBA sellers who are in that position where they need a bit of backing to get the next round of inventory and to push the business forward and figure out what kind of brackets you, know, you could operate within businesses, Amazon FBA businesses that are between X and Y years old and between this kind of sales revenues per month or something like that. There might be a little sweet spot there, like you mentioned for the last idea, that people would be able to plug themselves into. That's a really interesting one. You imagine internet marketers who have a ton of talent for marketing products want absolutely nothing to do with going to China or going around and raising funding from family or friends or from investors. So why not instead of you know an upfront services fee, have a back-end partnership deal? Whereas, yes, if you're in this sort of sweet spot, you're doing this sort of volume, we'll sign a contract where we become business partners on that SKU and we take a 20% share for funding and sourcing of that product. That's the sort of deal that I think could really work out because now you're freeing up that FBA seller to go find their next niche. That might be a dumb idea. It might be a brilliant idea. Who knows? Only time will tell. But we would love to hear yours. These will all be posted at tropicalmba.com slash businessideas2.
Uh, normally, this is where we would end the show, but I couldn't let Tristan go without bringing up one subject, and that's his company's recent name change from Shopify Ninjas to Black Belt Commerce. You know, it's funny because these businesses, they start so fast that one of the most time-intensive parts of this process can be finding a good name and finding a good domain. So when Tristan set up what was originally called Shopify Ninjas many, many years ago, that worked out well for him until Shopify made an IPO or an initial public offering, which meant, amongst other things, that they needed to be stricter about the way their name was used. So I asked Tristan to share a little bit about that story. So this has been brewing... For quite some time, I guess, having a business called Shopify Ninjas for the past four years that runs on the Shopify platform was fantastic. But I think in the back of my mind, there was always this idea of maybe at some point we might need to change the business name. And earlier this year, I attended the Shopify conference in San Francisco and I ran into a few businesses who had had to change their name. Until that point, I had been somehow let off the hook. But since Shopify IPO'd a couple of years ago, things have changed a little bit. So through some discussions with some of the, the Shopify partners, we kind of got the hint that the time is now. <laughs> Did they like send you a cease and desist or was there any kind of like showdown moment? No, there was no climactic showdown moment. Actually, they were fantastic about it. They held off asking for as long as they could because we've been a long-time partner with them for almost six years. I think uh, probably shortly after they IPO'd, they started preventing new partners from having the word Shopify in their name. But for people who were established, you know, knowing what's involved in changing a name, they held off for as long as they could. But one day, earlier this year anyway, I received an email from them saying... Hey, Tristan, we just wanted to work with you. The time has come. We kind of need to get moving on this now. There was absolutely zero antagonization or cease and desist or really anything like that from their end. It was much more of a partnership in the frame of we're no longer able to have businesses with Shopify in their name since it's now a trademark and we've IPO'd. Can we work with you on a timeline that's going to be feasible for you to work with you on changing your name? When do you think we could set a date and how can we help? It was much more of a collaborative effort rather than you know, a cease and desist letter with red writing turning up on my house or anything like that. <laughs> Thankfully. Well, let us know what you came up with and how have your customers responded? Yeah, so far it's been great. I've been really happy. It was a lot of soul searching because ultimately you do feel a bit tied to your baby and the business that you've created over the past four years. So I wanted to keep some kind of an identity to the ninja because that's how a lot of people know us, even in the Shopify community and the Shopify staff. And also it's just something I think it's a little bit silly and quirky and memorable. So we changed our name to Black Belt Commerce with the idea being that you know, we'd graduated from just being normal ninjas and we were now black belt ninjas. <laughs> <laughs> so we kept the little ninja in our logo and uh, some other consistency in the branding, but we did a whole new website. We've got all new branding materials. We went through kind of a whole rebranding exercise. So black belt commerce is the new name. So far, the feedback's been really positive. I've had quite a few people tell me that they feel like it's a bit more of a grown-up's name and that it feels 
a bit more fully formed than Shopify Ninjas. People also seem to understand the connection and we haven't had any real identity crises in terms of where Shopify Ninjas gone, you know, who's this weird new company, Black Belt Commerce. <laughs> so far, the feedback's been really positive and people seem to understand it. It was a lot of work, as you guys would know, having done rebrands yourself in the past. There's a lot of soul searching, a lot of brainstorming and a lot of work in doing it. So it was a big undertaking, but I'm happy that we did it. It's also removed that sort of gray cloud in the back of my head that one day would have to happen. And now I think we've got a bit more room to move in offering some different services as well if we wanted to. So overall, I'm really happy with it, how it came out. A lot has changed since we last talked for you. I mean, you bought a house. You're running a mature business rather than finding your market and establishing your cash flow. Yet you've been hanging around with a lot of people at the event, for example, that have even taken your ideas and are in that first 1,000 days time frame of starting their business. For you now, looking back and talking to some of those newer entrepreneurs, and some of whom are probably on day one because of some of the ideas you've shared today, what's more challenging for you? Has it been that maturity stage or was it the startup stage? Interesting question. I think that the getting started stage was more challenging, but I think the running a mature business feels more challenging. And the reason for that is I think in the startup phase, when you're just getting going and you have the excitement of getting your first customer and the first person filling out your contact form and sending your first invoice and you have all these firsts during the startup phase, I think the excitement of that pushes you forward without you having to do very much on your own terms. It's almost just like inertia carrying you forward. And to me, that feels easier than managing, I guess, a more fully formed or a more established business. So it feels easier in the beginning, but it's probably more difficult getting started because there's just so much more hustle involved. You're still figuring everything out. And I mean, there's still lots of things that I'm figuring out now too, but at least we've been in the game for a little while now. So I know a bit more about how things work. I think the getting started part is the hardest, but it feels easier because you have that inertia carrying you forward from the excitement of all those firsts, if that makes sense. I really resonate with that. I thought it was a cool distinction that the first time I've heard it today, I've seen this pattern where it's cyclical, where at the very beginning, like a lot of people listening to this, the reason that they haven't started a business is likely psychological because it's not like a capital issue. It's psychological. Like, why can't you learn the skills? Like, why don't you have the confidence to launch? You know, why aren't you willing to sell yourself, et cetera, et cetera. And then when you sort of get rocking, and you're like on day 1000 or 666 and you're like paranoid about your competition and you're freaking out about your clients and stuff. And what I've noticed is like sort of once you get past that plateau of the thousand days, you know, you buy a house, you restored your retirement funds, all those things. It kind of loops back to the psychological again, which is what the hell am I doing? What do I really want from this business? Does that make sense? Do you feel like you're back to psychological challenges? Absolutely. I think it really does come full circle again. And I've been working with a lot of that lately as well, is you know, once you do have something that's already in motion, you then start thinking, okay, how can I get the best out of it? How can I make sure that it's still fun? What do I ultimately want to get out of the business in the end? Because in the beginning, you're kind of in this motion of, I just want to have a business. So then I have the ability to make some other decisions. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Even if you have a business, maybe you're thinking about starting something new on the side. If you've got some extra ideas you're willing to donate, or if you want to 
critique some of the things that we brought up or add some thoughts, this post, along with all the links to everything we talked about, will be at our website, tropicalmba.com slash business ideas and the number two. I love talking about business ideas so much that actually in just a few weeks, we'll have another episode with Dan Norris, the author of The Seven Day Startup, where we go over many, many more ideas. So stay tuned for that. Next week, Bossman will be back on the show with a great interview about growing your team through apprenticeships. So be sure to tune in for that one. We'll see you next Thursday morning. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.